Hello there, and welcome to another episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. Our chosen charity partner, as always, is Jigsaw.ie, an incredible Irish youth mental health charity doing the most extraordinary work to help young people back home in Ireland through this really difficult time and on into the rest of their lives. Uh, We all know, we all remember how hard it was to be young in Ireland. And Jigsaw has made it their mission to help young people through what is essentially a mental health emergency right now. They're oversubscribed and stretched because there's a 400% jump in demand for their services since the start of the pandemic. They need our help to get through it. Go to jigsaw.ie now, see if you can help them and see if they can help you. Well, what you're about to hear is an extract from my conversation with News Talk's Joe Malloy. Joe Malloy is, of course, an award-winning Irish sports journalist who, surprisingly, in around 2012, thought about walking away from it all. He interviewed even for the role of regional manager for Aldi. A year or two later, he was picking up five National Sports Broadcaster of the Year awards. The first of five, I should say. He's an extraordinary man and a brilliant interviewer, and I was delighted to get the opportunity to sit down with him, even if I had to twist his arm to do it. If you'd like to hear the rest of the conversation, it's simple. Head over to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad, and for the price of a coffee each month, you can hear hundreds of our episodes, our spin-off series with Marion McKeown, an Irishman in America, the full episodes every single week, and hundreds more that I've recorded since 2013. For years, this show was free, but now more than ever, I need you to dig deep and spend the price of a coffee on allowing me to keep this show on the road. That's how I'm doing it through patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. As I said, a very small amount will allow us to keep this show going. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the Joe Malloy episode of An Irishman Abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Joe Malloy, it's great to have you finally on Irishman Abroad. I had to do a bit of arm twisting, though, to get you to do it. I need to, I need to disclose that to the listeners, that Joe wasn't going, <laughs> yes, me. <laughs> I deserve an episode of an Irishman Abroad. <laughs> what, what was the reluctance? Like, are you, do you just not like talking about yourself? You prefer to be the other side of things. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. And also, I was just worried for you that you really had hit rock bottom. <laughs> My God. <laughs> 
Jesus can't he can't be here already it's can the he? equivalent of Rome in the RT canteen at half nine on, yeah. a, on a Friday night how did you know it was over Jarlett <laughs> Joe Malloy that was the episode <laughs> now Joe like I really am excited to have you on and also there's there's an awful lot of crossover in, in what we do in your approach to doing things and how you conduct interviews is always something that uh, interested me and you know I kind of probably learned a lot from you along the way in that you've always been a man as I could see it in broadcasting who took his time and just didn't mind a bit of quiet didn't mind a little bit of listening to the answer and allowing the answer to hang in the air when did that come along for you like at what point did you go actually i've got way more time here than the traditional radio man would have you think i couldn't pinpoint it to be honest and they're exceptionally kind words too kind to be honest um i suppose i listen back to myself a lot and it's amazingly interesting when you listen back to yourself fresh from doing it there's that saying in golf i'm kind of a golf fan and the golf coaches always say what you feel isn't real and I suspect you have experienced this on a stage as well or doing interviews. Uh, what you feel isn't real, as in, you know, the golfer takes the club back and thinks he's doing one thing and actually he's doing something uh, totally different. It's often very similar, I've found, in broadcasting where you listen back and with horror. And there have been lots of horror listen backs. I'm by no means um, <laughs> by no means on, on, on top of my craft at all. But you listen back and you learn things like that uh, beat of silence that you thought felt like a minute was actually three seconds or you were talking too fast, etc. Or you weren't listening well enough, all that kind of stuff. So um, I guess maybe it comes from that. I would listen back to myself an awful lot and I would do it when it's fresh in my memory because I think it's the, the what you feel is in real part is you need to know how you felt like you need to know, did it feel like you were bringing enough en energy? I would often listen back to myself and think, oh, bit monotone. You didn't bring enough energy there or your voice was just a bit uh, samey or talking too fast, all that stuff. But you need to know what you felt you were doing. Mm. What you feel yeah. isn't real to me is I think that's the opposite for me that I like. I would think that trusting what you were feeling is how I would be guided by an awful lot of performance and interviews is going with my gut and that sometimes the actual review of it, like I won't watch or listen things back a lot of the time mm. because of exactly what you've described, that I'll go, oh, I thought it was this way in that moment, but now watching it secondhand, I don't believe it was that. And that takes me further away from my intuition when you watch back let's say the road show with roy Keane, when you watch back that you're not the people that watched it like you're you mm. <laughs> like in in so many ways you can't remove yourself from the frame of reference experience and history you have with roy to view it with the objective eyes needed do you get me that you know i i just wonder about that side of things that like I, I'm my own worst critic, but I'm actually the worst person to criticize myself as mm. well. I do see where you're coming from. I find it helpful. It will jump out to me if I'm interrupting too much. It will jump out to me if I have certain bad habits I'm getting into. 
I mean, the only danger with it is you can become too self-conscious, I would find, mm. or you can damage your own confidence and it can be, you know, I, you, you've got to find a balance in that way. I do understand the point you're making. Well, and I do have a, a, you know, a more 3D, I know what's going on in my head. I remember moments of eye contact, which don't come across on mm. uh, from a listener or, or viewer point of view. But uh, yeah, I just, I can't help myself. And I, I, I need to take as objective a review of what I'm doing as possible, you know? I should say, sometimes I'm in danger of doing this with the listeners here, referencing things that I just assume everybody knows about. But that, that Roy Keane Road show in September 2019 made massive, massive headlines for the manner in which Roy conducted himself, some of the things he said and how he played to the gallery. And it was the first time that I'd actually watched it, that, like, I watched the other evening and I could see your face during it and how uncomfortable at times you were with some of the things he was saying well like am I right in saying that <laughs> funny that's one I haven't watched back that's one I haven't watched back yeah look it, that was tricky in some ways you know you've Roy Gary Neville is equally a huge personality, you know, maybe the most influential voice in English football over the last coming up on a decade now. And you have over a thousand hardcore Manchester United fans and it was very charged. And you spend weeks preparing for that. And Nathan and I spent weeks preparing for that. And there's so many interesting things about Roy Keane that I would find massively interesting and would love to talk to him about in person, you know like even just reading his books, I, 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 I remember just there's lines in it, which I thought, wow, we could do 20 minutes in that. For instance, I remember reading and thinking we must talk to him about this, where he said, you know, he was he talked about going to matches, you know, just watching them and, and people would say hi to him. And generally, they're very nice, but he's always on guard waiting for someone to say something a little out of line and mm -hmm. that he's going to react to it. And he said, I hate that about myself. I thought that's bloody interesting. Yeah. And a big admission, um, a big admission. And there are lots of big admissions in that Roddy Doyle book and they don't go on book, for paragraphs yeah. but they're just lines here and there you know like Roy's clearly such an intelligent man the what, spinning what in his chair make? that was the one the big admission for me that he went into his office <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Around in his oh, like chair. such a sense of humour hilarious you know and, and self-deprecating and you know so I, like I, I wonder does he regret not going further in education all of this kind of stuff but then on that night you kind of have to do some of the greatest hits as well. Mm. You have to ask about Ferguson. You have to get into all that stuff. And just, you know, he got into a flow with the crowd and, you know, it just kind of took off. And, yeah, it got a bit uncomfortable for sure. And, look, he, he talked at one stage about that period at United where he was giving up alcohol and what that was like. And, again, I think if you're in a quiet room, mm. that's what you'd really get into. That's a, you know, that's a seismic kind of uh, shift. But he also in subtle ways shuts down those avenues and it's like it's funny when you're making eye contact with him in in 3d like the real <laughs> the real roy Keane. you could see flickers of recognition with certain questions where he was a step ahead of where you were going to go mm -hmm. it's quite interesting so you know he, he he shut those more interesting intimate areas down pretty damn quickly and there was a degree of then you know, let's play the greatest hits. You know, at one stage he told me, you know, get your facts right, which is an old Keen classic and the crowd love it and the crowd go wild. And, you know, it kind of had that quality. And the Ferguson stuff wasn't comfortable. The stuff he was saying about Johnny Walters wasn't comfortable. 
it's difficult to know in those moments to what extent you jump in and try and shut someone down because I my suspicion was his inclination would be to come back stronger again. Mm. You know, what's, what's his reaction going to be if you say, well, hang on, Roy, that's a bit harsh. I suspect he's not going to go, oh, you're right, actually, it is. You know, yeah, he's yeah. going to go 10 times harder. So, yeah, I have very mixed feelings about that one, Jarlath. I really do. And it, there was such a glare about the whole thing. And I felt in retrospect, I should have shut him down more. And yet, ironically, it's probably the most watched thing we've ever bloody done. So, yeah, I kind of and, and then like, my God, the Twitter comments and everything. It's just erupted of people from all over the world. It was interesting being in the glare of like global spotlight for a couple of days or weeks. But I kind of that wasn't a good night for me. And I think think I got a bit overawed by the whole thing and didn't know how to handle it. And it was tricky with the the atmosphere in the room, which I don't think fully comes across on the. Mm-hmm. The video that you watch, you know, it was just an, th- there was a sense of say more, Roy, go on, you know, give us more from, mm-hmm. you know, out there. And I might watch it in 10 years time. Maybe I'm being too harsh on myself. But I, I came away from that saying, oh, no, I, that was one where I said for my own, <laughs> my own confidence, I'm just going to let that one drift without going back and examining that because it was um, unique in some ways as well. So I don't know what the value would be, but it was, yeah, weird one. I don't know what you made of it. Well, what comes across to me there from what you're saying is that you hold regrets about your kind of moral responsibility in your job uh, and the code of ethics that you live by and the standards that you hold yourself to, the responsibility of someone in your situation and that others would take the view of this scenario that uh, we pose the questions, we can't help but what the person says. I don't have a job or a role as a referee or standards in public office person. I just ask. And this is what he said. I mean, get out of the way of the train after that. You clearly believe no more than in the Gordon Elliott situation that, you know, I got to ask. I got to ask this. It's it's incumbent upon me Mm. to say if this is right or wrong. And again, there's people that will disagree with that. Where do you think that starts at like that does that start at that first 10 minute documentary a day in the life of your brother's under 14 team that you made or when does when does that start with you i don't really know i suppose it's always been there like on the keen thing it's a really interesting point you make about to what extent am I the referee for everything he says and that's something I grapple with all the time like there are times where I just think well there's only so much I can do here and like you you want the interview to be interesting so like let him off but then there's certain times where you think well Johnny Walters isn't here Mm. and so I have a duty to that person if I was being talked about like that how would I what would I think of the presenter who just sat there or even egged it on and I certainly wasn't going to egg it on but I definitely had a sense like should do more but then there's nothing worse than a bloody interview where everyone, every 10 seconds, the interviewer is saying, well, you can't say that and you can't say that and you can't say that. And, oh, that's a bit harsh. And, oh, that person's not here. So that is always that gray space you're in. I'm sure you have found that here at times. That's always the gray space yeah, you're you in. You get and people going, I can't believe you didn't challenge him on that. Sure. That, that's a yeah. real Twitter. <laughs> There's people yeah. with accounts that should be called. I can't believe you didn't challenge him on that. And on that night, I felt it. On that night, if anyone tweeted that to me, I said, yeah, I agree with you. And look, a ton of people said to me, well, what are you meant to do? It's Roy Keane and he's brilliant and, you know, he's got he's a force of nature and he's going to say what he's going to say. I mean, and he's a black belt. He's a black belt in interviews. 
he's a master and he had a thousand strong army there and you're just uh you're you're they're not on your side i think on that night i think mm. it's fair to say and there's a duty of like do you get into such a you can't say that or that's too harsh and hold your ground on that to the extent that he walks off or the whole night's ruined or he says to himself well actually I'm now checking out of this interview because I'm not, I don't really like the way you're conducting it. So, you know, I'm going to kind of cross my arms here and, and I'm, I'm not opening up so much anymore. I mean, mm. you potentially sabotage the next hour and a half, you know, with your moralistic, oh, Roy, is that a bit harsh on someone, you know? So, so there's a little bit of the uncle at the Christmas dinner coming out with something there where you're uh, like, is my challenging him going to uh, bring, a, bring out worse? To a point, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like I don't think he was if it had really, really crossed a line, I'd like to think you'd step in and you know, we sort of did, but it's not like he's gonna back down. Mm. So, um look, I probably would have watched it and as a neutral and just thought, Oh well look, these things happen and it's it's not dull. I mean, rule number one, try not to be dull, so mm. in that sense. But when you're trying to find a balance that you're happy with personally, look, that was as tricky as it gets, I think. I don't I don't I don't think it gets much trickier than that kind of night. So I'm I'm generally kind of happy enough and can find a certain level. But that was just um, it was it was extraordinary kind of. Yeah, energy in the room, I still remember it was and, you know, like you've Gary Neville sitting beside him. He's no, he's no slouch either. And like, you know, yeah. so there was and a, he's also was a trying to on. making it funny as well. He's lightening it and Times, making yeah. it like in some ways I felt like and people should I imagine people will have paused this by now and gone back to watch a little bit of this because you know John Walter is a, it's a very difficult situation he, you know he got slagged off for talking about his difficult being brave enough to talk about his family situation and yeah. it's it did seem that the view of Gary was it's just a bit of pub banter in it you know, that kind of, th this is Roy on the back of the bus. But, you know, on the other hand, you were like, well, we're pushing this out nationally and this is not, you can nearly hear how this is going to be heard yeah. beforehand. Yeah. And this is, it's a long way off from 2013. You said to me that you'd interviewed for a job with Aldi as a regional manager. Yeah. Assistant to the regional manager. Assistant. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Gareth Keenan. <laughs> like at that point in your life, you're 27 years old at that time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how how despondent were you about the future of sports journalism for you? Yeah, I, was, I felt I was pretty much done, you know. Why? Like I went into college, uh, wanted to be a teacher and then did a, on a, you know, I kind of fell in love a little bit with media and listened to off the ball which was new on the scene then and thought maybe i found college a big disappointment in some ways i found it quite a lonely experience i was living at home i was doing an english and history degree so i was in a room with 300 people for 12 hours a week it was quite hard to sit beside the same person you know once a semester let alone strike up a friendship with them so mm. it was just not a great time and i remember really thinking god life is not just gonna happen here i've got to do something i want to do and so I thought, you know, I'd love, adore sport, played sport. And I just kind of thought, let's let's maybe try this, you know, and did a one year kind of postgrad and then wangled my way into news talk around 2008 or so. And by about uh, 2010, I was in the sports department. On the face of it, things were not going badly. Like 2010, I was, you know, at 25 years of age, I was producing the weekend sports show. Jared Gilroy presented that. 
2012, I was at the Olympics doing a bit of on-air stuff. There was a backlog. Podcasts were not a big thing. There were only so many avenues. RTE seemed like a tropical island that was absolutely out of reach. And at News Talk, we were well stocked. I mean, there was Jer, who's outstanding broadcaster. There's the now second captain's lads who were very much the off-the-ball crew. And they're all in there at that stage, late 20s. I mean, nobody's going anywhere. Mm. You know, there's I'm, I'm looking around. I'm kind of darting around and I'm, I'm a natural worrier and I spend a lot of my head in the future, unfortunately, which is a crazy thing to do. And I'm thinking, I, you know, I, I, I just I call it a quarter life crisis. I don't know. But I just thought, where am I in 10 years here? Well, I think and a, a I lot of like people identify with that, Joe. Yeah, I think sure. that particularly that period. I mean, that's those are the years that I moved here. And Dude, I, you get on train tracks and, you know, as you know, if you go down certain length of line for five, ten years, it gets harder and harder to get off. And I was aware of that even then. So mm. I did think to myself, in ten years time, if I'm still in these train tracks, what is my life any different? Like everyone is still here doing the jobs they're still doing. So, look, I was ready to bail. I I, I, I thought about doing a hedge dip again. And I absolutely did. Uh, very few people know it. Dave McIntyre, I remember telling him at the time, a colleague of mine. I was like, look, I've, I've applied for this, this thing in Aldi where you can, you know, it's like, a, I think you work your backside off for the first year or two, but then you're like a regional manager. It seems like the money's way better than we're on here. You, you get a little company car to drive around to the various shops and, you know, I'll work my way up, I guess, and try and learn business. And look, I, I went through two or three interview stages. I got to the final interview and I didn't get it. Thank God I didn't get it. It was funny at the end of the interview, whatever the guy detected in me, I remember him saying, I'm not sure you want this job. Really? So maybe there was a degree of self-sabotage there. a good interviewer. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he picked up on something. He picked up on something. But he said, I'm not sure you want this enough. And maybe I didn't argue that point enough. And uh, that was like late 2012, Charlotte, that I sat there in that interview in my uh, suit and tie. And like by March of 2013, the uh, now brilliant second captains lads, formerly off the ball lads, uh, depart. They were having issues with news talk. They wanted to come on earlier in the afternoon. All that stuff was going on, but it was still a massive shock. I still remember Jared Gilroy ringing me on 4th of March saying, the lads have gone. I was like, what do you mean, gone, gone? He's like, gone, gone. So Is that you, what that phone call sounded like? Was, the, like? was that phone call? Give me that phone call, first of all, because this, is, this uh, is the fork in the road for your life. Yeah, for sure it is. For sure it is. Uh, me and Michael McCarthy, who worked on the um, bre- or the uh, weekend show and Jer presented, that was kind of our little team. That was the Saturday and Sunday show on News Talk, you know. And mm. uh, it was a it was a Monday morning, and me and Mick were going to go out and play a game of golf, <laughs> you know, like because we didn't we didn't work Mondays and Tuesdays because we were weekend, so we were off. Phone rings, it's Jer, unusual on a Monday. He says, "Look, the lads have gone," and I was like, "Oh my god, you're ki-. like I did not realize that the." conversations had been that serious like i'm pretty junior there i'm 26 27 i'm not you know (laughs) nobody's ringing me to see what i think about the whole uh, situation that was ongoing and so he said look they're gone and we're putting the show together tonight i was like holy shit what it's hard it's hard for let me stop you there because it's hard for the listeners to take this on board in some ways dude i was like (laughs) But they were such a, you know, a mainstay, like it really oh, was part of life I, as a touring comedian at the time. It was the soundtrack to my journeys. And I had obviously moved over here at the time. And I remember being genuinely despondent. What oh. what am I going to do now? 
that like it, it was pulling one of the big legs out from the table that was news talk at the time yeah. and no one saw this coming least no. of all you are are you at like you've obviously had your fear that i my my days are done in this maybe i am going to have to move career as a worrier and as you say somebody that goes way too far down the track in in that moment did your mind go down the track to oh this could be good for me it would be a lie to say no because of course there's now this behemoth of a show and so of course they're going to need to fill it in one way or another now i certainly didn't think oh you know it's it, i but pr- primarily primarily i the overriding thought was like oh my god how can anyone replace them that is the ultimate follow alex ferguson like we're we're david moyes do you know what i mean the, like I, I and so that first week is a blur you know this was front page news jared this was in the front mm. page of the irish times this yeah. was you know and i was as big a fan as anyone, I guarantee you over the previous decade, I had listened to that show more than anyone. I promise you that. So I knew what they meant to people. I knew how good they were. I knew the hostility that was waiting for us in a perverse way. I was like, I also am hostile <laughs> to, to, to us bunch trying to go in and, and, and take off, you know, from from a standing start. And, and so I like there was a lot of trepidation and fear and like, where do we even start, you know, and and. That first week was a blur. I remember there was a radio reviewer like about three days in uh, and there was a review saying, yeah, they don't have the same chemistry as the lads. It's like, yeah, no shit. No shit. We don't. (laughs) We're working 12 hours a day here. There's like three of us. Like, uh, so initially I kind of was put on like presenting the Sunday and Monday show and it's, you know, since expanded and everything. But um, yeah, it was, I, 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 the nerves that night and just obviously there was hostility and it's understandable. And um, but yeah, fork in the road for sure, man. Big time. Well, 2014, you win the first of five national sports broadcaster of the year awards. And that night yeah. when like that has to be the moment when you go, it, it worked out. I, yeah. I, I mean, I can do this. I mean, even Kevin Barry said this to you the other week on the show that like for all people going oh, awards mean nothing they they can really be just that especially in a country like ireland where people kind of need other people to to approve of you before they'll approve of you tell us about what that that felt like especially as somebody who doubts themselves all the time to then get that like was it completely out of left field that you know, you've been nominated. Did you just yeah. think you weren't going to win it because of all the other nominees? Yeah. yeah, probably. And also first time nominated and all that stuff. And look, awards don't really mean all that much increasingly. But at the time, it was big. It was a sense of validation. It was a sense of going to be I'm going to be OK. And, you know, it was like it felt very show busy at the time and felt like a big deal. And everyone's in black tie and you're seeing other big radio people at the awards. And, you know, I think it was Barry Murphy after match Barry Murphy, he was the MC. And so, you know, they go a, a, a big screen and it's who won the bronze and it's not my name and who won the silver, it's not my name. And then I started to think, could I? And then, you know, so that night was, you know, it was massive. And I remember ringing my parents and, and just, yeah, kind of thinking I'm, I'm, I'm going to be maybe okay here. This won't be a complete disaster. I'm not going to have to check Evaldi or holding interviews again in, 
you know the next uh, year or so so <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a lovely memory now i don't i would really hate to kind of suggest now i think it's a big deal because like you know now you kind of think oh it's a small pond and it's not that you know like it is what it is but and, and like who else has the um the space i have to do all these interviews you know what i mean so bloody hell if i you know if, if i wasn't winning the odd one there'd be something very very wrong like i've got a major leg up on lots of people but look at the time yeah man it was i remember it's such a special night i remember driving home to my uh, then girlfriend now wife and just a big hug and i remember ringing my parents and he was like i mean you know parents kind of <laughs> my dad wouldn't get that excited but you know he was like my god well done this is great no, how hard you've worked and because it had been a slog to, you know, I'd been at News Talk since 08 and worked as a researcher on the lunchtime show, huge amount of work there, uh, researcher on at the right hook, huge amount of work there, got into the sports department in 2010, a lot of work behind the scenes. So, you know, it was kind of a long enough time coming and I think my parents knew how much I'd put into it. So, mm. yeah, it's a lovely memory. Man, it was, it was, it, at the time, it was such a buzz. Like, I felt like I had won an Oscar. You know what I mean? It's embarrassing now how much I thought, this is amazing. Yeah, I don't know if it's embarrassing. I mean, like, uh, I think that people can appreciate that there are these moments that uh, if you've had one, you'll know that, like, in the broader scheme of things, in the space of a pandemic, in the space of childbirth and marriage, it's not that big, but no they are big moments i remember dermot whelan he presents it now and does such a good job and he will often start off so as i said that is an extract of my conversation with joe i'd love you to hear the full thing just head to patreon.com forward slash irishman abroad and for the price of a coffee you can hear the rest of it and lots lots more including conversations with uh jer gilroy david walsh and many, many more sports journalists, if that's what you're into. There's hundreds of episodes over there with the greatest Irish athletes and sports people ever to have lived. Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad is the place to go. My thanks to Brian Connolly for his production on this extract of the show. To John Marr for his extra research and Tina and Mikey, as always, for making it all possible. I'll see you on Tuesday for more Irishman Running Abroad with Sonia O'Sullivan.